Great content is like an amazing dish. It's meant to be remixed and shared. That means a great blog post should also be visualized and explained in a webinar, written as a Twitter thread, discussed in a podcast. Doing so makes it easy for people to consume your content how they want to, whether attending a live webinar or listening to a podcast while at the gym. That's exactly the content strategy that Amanda Natividad, DV Marketing Sparktor, uses to maximize the reach of the content she creates. Today, Amanda discusses the webinar to blog post strategy she uses to repurpose Sparktor's popular office hour webinars attended by thousands of marketers into blog posts. As you're presenting your ideas, then you can start to pick up on how your audience is reacting to it, right? You start to see things like maybe people participating in the live chat saying, oh, that's a really good example. Or wait, what about this use case? Or hold on, I don't really understand what you mean when you said this. So those are things that give you clues as to maybe some of the ideas you have to harden, maybe additional examples you have to source, all the things that would turn your blog post from like a B plus to an A plus. In this Marketing Pops episode, you learn first why repurposing webinars to blog posts might be better than the other way around. Second, Amanda's detailed process for turning webinars into blog posts. Third, the art of coining terms like zero-click content. And fourth, a resume tip that's helped her transition from a test kitchen chef to a BPO marketing of a fast-growing startup. Before we start, I've created a power-ups cheat sheet that you can use Download and fill in to apply Amanda's webinar to blog content strategy. Go to marketingpowerups.com to get it right now. That link is in the description and show notes. Are you ready? Let's go. Marketing Power Ups. Ready? Go! Here's your host, Bradley John. Let's talk about marketing power ups. You know, we're going to be talking about how your content strategy of turning SparkTour's office hour. Uh, webinars into blog posts. Now, while preparing for the show, you mentioned that many people think that the end result uh, of, of this should be the webinar because probably setting up a webinar it just takes a lot longer, creating the slides uh, and making sure that people show up for the event. But you actually mentioned that this could be a mistake that it might sometimes be better to start off with, uh, with, with a webinar first and a blog post. Why, why is that? You know, to your point, I get it, right? Creating a webinar, it takes a lot of work, right? You got to make a landing page, got to make your slides, promote the event, all that good stuff. So I definitely think it makes sense that you would think, no, I need to have all the content final before I present this in front of, you know, like a hundred plus people. I get it. But the thing is, if you find a way to be comfortable enough with um, a little bit of spontaneity and getting some feedback, um, you can use the opportunity to make your presentation better. So maybe it's more like what you should have is like a blog outline, maybe have a sense of what you would say. Right. And that's what you would do with any presentation, right? You would have essentially some kind of thesis statement. So you should have it, have your examples, put them together in your slides, right? walk people through it. And as you're presenting your ideas, then you can start to pick up on how your audience is reacting to it, right? You start to see things like maybe people participating in the live chat saying, oh, that's a really good example. Or wait, what about this use case? Or hold on, I don't really understand what you mean when you said this. So those are things that give you clues to, as to maybe like some of the ideas you have to harden maybe additional examples you have to source, all the things that would turn your blog post from like a B plus to 
an A plus. It makes sense. So you're taking the context, like when you create an outline, you might have missed a certain point or a context or a question that comes up during the webinar from an audience. And I was like, oh, I should include that in my blog post. And that's totally what I'm hearing here. Totally. And if you have, you know, on your webinar, like, you know, three examples of how to do something and somebody wants a fourth one, that's okay, right? So there's also, why I guess what I'm trying to get at here is not to feel self-conscious about it because no attendee is thinking, oh my gosh, they're so not prepared. They only had three or four examples, not five, right? So, right. And, and that's what I also mean about like, yeah, have a thesis statement, like have the idea like mostly baked out just so you get to the point that once you get the feedback, the the questions, responses that you know, like, oh, this is like this one concept that I mentioned, this resonated better than I thought it would. Like I should write more about that piece. The other thing that I that just hit me now is that when you start off with a webinar, you think about slides, but a lot of really great blog posts, they have great images. And you're actually thinking about uh, images before you even even write it. So now you, you, you have, those slides can be reused as uh, a visual, visual cues or a visual support in the blog post itself. That's a really good point. Yeah, you can start taking some of the elements from there and interspersing it with your blog post. And then maybe if it even made sense, you could even embed like the PDF of your presentation in the blog post. But that could work. I know we keep hammering it, but like you probably can take like snippets of the webinar itself and like embed it within the, you know, take a, a 30 second snippet and embed it into the blog post itself if that, that makes sense as well. So there yeah. are many ways to repurpose it. Totally. And, and actually that's what we did with at least one of our, um, at least one of our blog posts. Like we did, this is a while back, but we did a webinar on cold outreach on like how to do it and basically like, and from like end to end, like how to find people to reach out to, how to write that outreach letter, um, how to position your offer yourself in a way that people actually respond, like like all this advice that you would need. And we also included, you know, how you would happen to do it using Sparktoro. Um, so we did this webinar. And then after that, I used like some of the feedback from the presentation to make the blog post version of it better. And so now I think if you go to like cold out, if you look for cold outreach done right, you know, SparkToro, you can find it on the blog and you'll see that it's a pretty long blog post. And I think there, that there are also visuals from my presentation itself. And I also just put in the YouTube video of the webinar and was like, by the way, here's a video version of this blog post. And I, I, I do use some different terminology, like different named, um, like sort of coined phrases because I was realizing as I was writing it out, like, oh, I think I said, I said something, I don't remember. I think it was something that I, I said clusters versus aggregators, or it might've been aggregators versus clusters. I don't remember what it was now, but I realized one was better than the other because it made more sense. Um, it was actually more accurate. And I was like, oh, I shouldn't have said that in the webinar. I should have said this instead. So I just fixed it, right? I just made the idea better. That's a really, I mean, we're going to dig into that a little bit further. To put it into context for people who might not know, Spark, you host uh, SparkToro's Office Hour, which is a live event with Brad and Fishkin to help people get the most out of SparkToro and uplevel the marketing strategy. So you've been hosting this events and you've been you know transferring that into to some of them into blog posts. How do you figure out which ones to to turn to blog posts? And I mean, you before we started recording, you said 
some of them you, you decided to do it the other way where you did start off with a blog post and then went to a webinar. How do you figure out which one to start off with and which one you should like, uh, should be the end result? I, I really wish I had a smarter answer than oh, what we feel like. <laughs> uh, because, I mean, it's a combination of if we get a lot, like if we've received several questions around a similar topic, it might be like, huh, two people, or it might even just be two people, like two people asked about, um, like, we'll just say like cold outreach. Then it was like, oh, I have a point of view on this. I'm going to write something. So that, or, um, so that's one thing that guides it. Sometimes it's also just Rand or I will have an upcoming talk at a different event. And so as we're preparing for that, we're like, oh, maybe we can use um, office hours as like the practice version. And so it's sort of like, oh, it's like similar, but not really. <laughs> yeah. So it's like a test run, right? But obviously it's still like something we work hard on. <laughs> but it's a warmer audience, right? Like those people want to totally. hear, like they totally know your brand, they know you and, and Rand versus uh, those those events might be cold. Like they might not know either you or or even Sparktoro. So that's super smart. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I, I love that you said warmer audience. That's exactly it. Yeah. So then you, you've been doing this, uh, this events and then you're trying to figure it out. I have to backtrack a little bit. It said, you, you mentioned around like, uh, it depends on how you feel about the topic itself. Uh, you know, like testing it out in a webinar uh, is actually a smart uh, idea, especially if it's a new topic, because you're getting that uh, instantaneous live feedback right away, like we talked about earlier. So uh, maybe that's one uh, approach. Just like if, if, if it's a new term you coined, <laughs> Or let's say it's a new topic, uh, you can you you get that instant feedback on in the chat right away uh, within the webinar rather than blog posts. You're waiting for people to send you messages or an email or to respond to something, which could take that feedback loop uh, a lot longer than if it was like over a webinar. I mean, getting that instant feedback is just super helpful. And you know, when I talk about this, I think it's just important to note that. Feedback doesn't come in the form of asking, hey, audience, like, what's your feedback on this, right? Feedback just comes in the form of, like, if they laugh at one of your jokes, like one of your <laughs> funny examples, right? That's feedback. Right. If they look yeah. confused or, I don't know, maybe, like, a lot of these are not really, not everyone's on camera, right? But or someone seems confused. Like, someone says, How, what do you mean by this? Like, that's feedback, right? So these are all things that will help you inform how to make your the final product even better. For people who are thinking about writing a book, I, I tell them one of the best advice I, I, that I, I've gotten from Rob Fitzpatrick, who wrote The Mom Test, is that don't write the book. Actually do a webinar or a training first, because then you can test run your your outline. You can test run your your stories. You can test run your, your ideas before you start writing, which is very similar here, where you're, you know, you're test you're essentially testing your your ideas and potentially your your data or your your charts or your your stories that you would include in that blog post, especially if it's a pillar pillar post or a pillar piece that you have on your on your blog. Man, I gotta read that book. Like, I feel like that's one of those hall of shame. Like, you have to have read that. I hear just fantastic things about his books. I want I want to jump in and talk about that cold outreach one. Uh, it's uh, available on your blog. I'm gonna be looking at in in the show notes as well as in the description. Did, did you like just translate word for, like not necessarily word for word, but outline by outline to the blog post? What's your approach to turning a webinar into to a, to a blog? 
uh, and potentially making it better, like what you mentioned earlier. So the, this one worked. It worked really well for the translation of uh, webinar to blog post because it's very step by step, right? Like that. You know, intro was like blah. Cold, cold outreach sucks if like you're on the receiving end and the person sends you a terrible message. Like blah blah blah. Relatable statement. So you have your intro. Pretty easy to do, and then um, it just kind of immediately went into well. Here's a here's a smarter way to do it, especially if you're a lean team. Like if you're doing this alone for PR outreach, or if you're doing it alone for like a uh, a career transition. Like if you're looking for a new job, and so I get into. I think I should just know this, but like I get into the cluster source of right. information where like. I think I basically said, like, like, first look at your cluster source of information, which is, you know, places where you can find additional leads. So I gave a couple of examples, which would be things like one of my favorite ones for people looking for a new job is looking at Wealthfront's career launching companies list. I think it's like 100 companies. I don't know if they still do this because I, I think the last time I checked, it was 2021. Um, but they they make a list of fast rising startups based on, you know, I think like growth or revenue. So if you're just looking for a bunch of cool startups to apply to, there's your list. Like just start there, right? And then from there, like find all their, you know, open job um, listings. Um, so that's one example of a cluster source. The other example I had was something about, um, it was more SparkToro related. So I gave an example using one of SparkToro's free tools like SparkScore. And Spark Score is a tool that we have where you can put in your or anybody's Twitter profile to understand the overall engagement or like the overall engagement of that person's profile relative to others, right? So it helps you better understand like, okay, like I don't need to, you know, reach out to or follow somebody who has like 200,000 Twitter followers. I want to find someone who has like, 5,000 Twitter followers. You know, it doesn't really, it might not even matter what the count really is. And maybe you want to understand like, maybe this person with like 3,000 followers is really, is really influential in a specific niche. So the Spark score would give you a sense of like how engaging their content is, all that good stuff. But it also shows related accounts to that one account. It shows, I think, nine, nine other accounts that are one, accounts that that person tends to engage with. So it would give you clues as to whether like maybe it means they're coworkers or they're good friends or it means they're in a similar niche. So it helps you find other people to reach out to. So I might just stop there because that's kind of like way in the weeds of this. But it <laughs> no, makes sense. But like starting from that building blocks of like, here's how to get your source of information. Next is like, here's how you position yourself. Or next is like, here's how you should consider making your online presence more appealing. And it was just things like, let's say you're a salesperson and you're reaching out for sales. Like your LinkedIn profile should match it. Like it should say sales executive or, you know, whatever the title is. Not Probably not something vague like advocate ninja, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Hacker. Totally true. <laughs> that's, that's so true. Like I, it totally makes sense how it, it, it's laid out. Uh, and we... A bunch of the stuff we talked about earlier, like including the video snippet and a lot of this, there's a lot of like screenshot of slides that you've used that, that was in the office hours is in the blog post itself. And from what I heard, uh, the way that you presented it uh, and the flow is essentially the flow of the, the blog posts for this one. Mm -hmm. 
I want to compare this to one where it actually started off as a blog post uh, and then uh, it started off as a blog post and then turned into a webinar. I believe that that was one around the zero click content, I believe. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how that one is different and, um, you know, like, and how that came across as, you know, starting off from the blog post to a webinar and what was the result? That one's a little bit of a funny one because it because the whole notion of zero click content, right? Zero click content, as you know now, is um, standalone content or content that's native to any given platform that presents a standalone idea, wherein clicking to learn more or clicking on the link to read the full context is only additive to the user's experience, not required for their understanding. So basically someone can see the tweet and keep scrolling and be, oh, I get it. That's awesome. Like, got it and keep scrolling or whatever that is. Um, so it's an idea that I had been talking about for quite a while. I think it probably first came up actually in my content marketing course, um, mm. my content marketing 201 course, because I do have one of the modules around creating zero click content. And then after that, I've mentioned it. I mentioned it to Rand in conversation. He was like, what did you say? And I was like, yeah, I'm like, oh, you know, like when you make like standalone content, like people don't have to click. I just call it zero click content. And he was like, Ex he's like, excuse me, like you have to write that. And I was like, I was like, oh, like, do you think that's a good idea? Like, I like that's how, like, like right. I didn't, I mean, I'm not so like clueless that I didn't think it that like I thought it was like a crappy idea and didn't think, but I was just like, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know if it's a blog post. I'm like, I think it's just like a thing people do. And he was like, no, it is definitely a blog post. <laughs> so that was when I really like very intentionally sat down and was like, oh, I guess it's a blog post. <laughs> and then wrote out like the, I think it's like 2,500 words. Wow. Um, so it's quite long, I think. And right. then, um, you know, was like, Rand, can you roast me before I publish this? <laughs> <laughs> So I had his so support. Funny. Yeah, which is good. And then after that, it was like, then it was just like, oh, wait, we should just do a webinar on this because we have it. <laughs> it's funny because you did teach it live first in your mm -hmm. cohort-based course. Yeah, and that's then, true. And then you, when you, when you shared it in your cohort, uh, in your, in your course, I'm guessing you, 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 did you get any positive feedback? You're just like, what is this? This is cool. Uh, or, uh, I believe you already shared it on Twitter by that point. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if, if you did get some feedback loop uh, earlier on before I, it became a blog post. I think so. I think like some students were like, oh, that was cool. Or like, or I, well, I did, I did get a couple of testimonials from people saying like, oh, the zero click content was a highlight for me. Um, so yeah, I did. I think what's, what can be challenging in teaching a, a live course, and this is a live online course, is everyone's in like learning mode, right? So you like, it's, right. it is great. You get to see their faces, but in some ways it's hard to tell if this thing resonates because they're just taking notes mm. and like, mm -hmm. right. And, and then I'm like, I think I'm losing them. And then sometimes right. they'll be like, oh, that was great. Thanks. I have to go by. <laughs> like, oh, so you did like it. Great. Right. I'm like, I'm glad. Um, but I did get some good feedback on it. Yeah. I think that's a really good point around getting, getting feedback, especially like, Sometimes you do want to hear from people who might a little bit be more skeptical uh, around different things, but I think people who are on the course uh, are they want to hear from you. They sign up for to hear from you and and really learn from new things from you. I do want to call that out. I like that you said that. I think getting some skepticism is good. I think that's ideal. Like you want to get somebody who says something like, "I'm not sure what you mean by this," or even just, "I'm not sure about that use case," because 
you want someone to challenge you in some way to be like, oh, wait, are they right? Like, like one, maybe they're right. Maybe you were wrong about something. Or two, maybe it helps you think through like, oh, I see what they're saying, but I need to add more nuance to what I'm saying to make it more accurate. Before we continue, I want to thank the sponsor for this episode, 42 Agency. When you're in scale-up mode, you have to hit your KPIs. The pressure is on to deliver demos and signups. It's a lot to handle. Demand gen, ABM, email sequences, revenue ops, and more. That's where 42 Agency, founded by my good friend, Camille Rexton, can help you. They're a strategic partner that's helped B2B SaaS companies like ProfitWell, Teamwork, Sprout Social, and HubDoc build a predictable revenue engine. If you're looking for performance experts and creative to solve your hardest marketing problems at a fraction of the cost of in-house, look no further. Go to 42agency, that's number 42agency.com to talk to a strategist to learn how you can build a high-efficiency revenue engine now. Find that link in the description or show notes. Well, that's all for now. Let's jump back into this episode. Seems like you're great at coining terms, like you have you know, zero-click content. There's another one that actually came up in a previous recording, uh, which I forgot who the person is, but around permissionless co-marketing. Oh yeah, permissionless which, co-marketing. Which yeah. is something that you also coined. How do you come up? How, how do you approach coining a new new term, like or a, a term that you've? Do you test it out with people, or do you just like going for a walk and then it hits you like a inspiration? Like what what's your approach to coining terms that? resonates with with marketers and other people i love this question and i just i really wish i had a better answer but (laughs) (laughs) it's i mean i no one has asked this and it's a really good question but my answer is just sort of i don't know i just say them (laughs) um maybe for permissionless co-marketing for that one i mean that's kind of that's a half borrowed term right people talk about like permissionless apprenticeship interesting i think yeah. I think that's a thing. I want to say, um, I want to say that's a, a Jack Butcher thing. I think, right? But just I, I think the idea there in being someone's permissionless apprentice is like I think it's like reading all their work online. I know everything they publish, following their work, and like kind of treating them as like an asynchronous mentor, and then mm. enacting their principles and following their advice. Um, I think that's what that is. Um, so the permissionless thing I kind of already knew, and then I added it to co-marketing. Um, I don't, and I didn't make up co-marketing, right? Like that's a thing people know. Um, <laughs> no, that makes sense. So that one for zero-click content, I think I just, I, I, I think it just, it just clicked in my head. Like I think it, I just liked it. Mm. I think it just was like this sounds good. Like I like this. It just captures what I'm trying to say. It's there's no need to click. You can if you want to. Um, I mean, I will say though, there are some wise guys now and then who point out like, actually you have to click to read a thread. So that's still clicking. <laughs> it's not so you're like, okay. Yeah. You're like, right. okay, bro. Yeah. I get it. Ha ha. <laughs> you're smart. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's so visual. Like it's so easy to get zero click content. Like you don't have to click away, uh, out of the, the platform itself. Uh, and per- permissionless co-marketing reminded me of a Seth Golden term around permission marketing, which is like mm. now you're kind of switching it around, permissionless co-marketing. That's uh, su- super interesting uh, how you approach that. Do you, do you just test it out with a few folks, like your family or like 
what do you think about this term or like a few other marketers do you like kind of workshop that term or do you just share it on Twitter? I mean, Twitter is a good instant feedback space where you yeah. share a term and see if people resonate with that particular term itself. That's true. I mean, yeah, there is some stuff on Twitter that I just kind of throw out there. For permissionless co-marketing, that one I, I kind of coined with Corey Haynes on his podcast where we were what? talking about an idea. Just randomly? On the spot? Yeah. Like you just coined, yeah. Yeah, yeah that one was on the spot. I think he... I think he was talking about the, you know, the act of it, like doing it. And I was like, yeah, kind of like permissionless co-marketing. And he was like, that's a great term. <laughs> and I was like, we made it up together. So, that's so, so that was a good, that was a good example. Cause that was just us like riffing in conversation and then throwing out the idea. And then he immediately reacted to it. Nice. I love it. I totally, totally love this. Well, I look forward to your other terms that you will coin in the future. Uh, and I will watch out for it on Twitter for sure. I actually want to switch gears and talk about careers. I know you've been in marketing for over a decade, but you actually switch, uh, you transitioned from journalism and a chef. I trained, like, what is it? Like your, uh, I worked at a ki- test kitchen. Yeah. Right. Which is super cool. Cause now it's totally in vogue. Like it's like everybody watching, uh, the menu or chef's kitchen or things like that. But I just wanted to learn from you about like a power up that's helped you in that either in that transition or in your decade in marketing that you can share to folks uh, that they can apply potentially to help accelerate their marketing career? So I think my advice will be, it's not really just one tip, it's just generally around improving your resume to get the outcomes you want. So, you know, when I was in this career transition, I basically was trying to get into marketing from not ever having real marketing experience, having similar adjacent experience to marketing. Like I did some social media stuff, just organic social. I worked on events. So these were all things that are related to marketing. So something I did in my resume was I highlighted the things that I did related to marketing and showed not only what I did, but also the outcome of it. So it was like, you know, oversaw Facebook and Twitter accounts for company profiles, resulting in, you know, like increased engagement over time, like stuff like like showing like X percent. I don't remember what it was now, but like showing X percent in growth, you know, added 12,000 or 10,000, probably smaller, new followers to our social accounts, like organically, like stuff like that, that shows like, okay, like I, you know, and I I didn't position myself as any, any kind of social media expert, right? But it was, I was applying for entry level marketing roles um, ideally in content and highlighting the things that were related to that. So I think it's really important. And I don't know if it sounds obvious to anyone listening, but I do think it's really important for in your resume to just go line by line and make sure everything you say is clear as to like what it is, like what you did and what the outcome was. And it doesn't always have to be like brought in X amount of money through this thing. It doesn't have to be that, right? It doesn't have to be like some crazy business outcome. It can be things like, you know, it could be culture related, right? It could be like created culture committee to celebrate, to start an employee appreciation program, like resulted in 50 employees being celebrated or things like that that are like, that's really nice, right? But uh, there's still an outcome being shown. So I think get, get a little bit creative if you need to about showing which outcomes you can show because that's really, really important. And I think and I call this out because I sometimes look, I, you know, look at friends' resumes, acquaintances' resumes, and that's the thing that most people are consistently missing. 
So true. They're saying what they did, not necessarily the outcome of the actions that they did specifically. Right. Yeah, totally. They'll say things like, you know, oversaw blog CMS, rewrote headlines, you know, wrote <laughs> SEO blog posts. Cool. It's like, cool. Yeah. Do any of those blog posts rank high in search? Mm. Or like, did, right. did it increase your company's domain authority? Or, you know, like there are a lot of things you could say that are, or it could be like, wrote, you know, X amount of blog posts that got shared organically on social like 50 times or, you know, things like that. Um, the other thing I'll add, this is a quirky fun one, is just to kind of spruce up your resume. And I'd say look up the, the company that you're the company that you're applying to, look up their brand hex colors and use it to just kind what? of spruce up your resume. And don't go That's overboard. A- Maybe <laughs> just like change the headers like skills you know, experience, change it to like the The Spotify green or things like that. But people notice that stuff. People do notice that, especially in marketing. Like they do care about consistency and brand and like, oh, this is on brand necessarily. Totally, yeah. Pick pick out their font. Like if you figure out what their brand font is, like for for us at AppCuse, it's Muli, which a lot of people wouldn't really care. But if uh, some people would recognize the font that, that you're using on, on your resume. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And then oftentimes, a lot of these brands have press kits on their website, which you can, right. which you can download for free. Yeah. They have like templates. <laughs> yeah. Like <Google> Docs <laughs> yeah templates. Sometimes they have the actual fonts. Yeah. Or they'll have like a that whole like PDF booklet of like, here's how to use our logo. You're probably at the stage of a career where you never have to submit a resume. Like, I mean, people are just going to try to poach you or they're just going to look at your LinkedIn, essentially. And I guess that's my question is like, do you translate those resume bullet points into your LinkedIn or do you just leave your LinkedIn assets? I know some people use LinkedIn to like, you know, I'm a data source for Google or like some kind of like weird uh, thing about LinkedIn. But like, what's your thoughts about that? Like putting on those resume bullets into your your profile? Uh, I might say do as I say, not as I do. Because, because <laughs> I do think, well, okay. What, here's what I'll say. But when I was more doing uh, doing the more conventional approach to applying for jobs, um, my my paper resume was the more detailed version of the LinkedIn one. So the LinkedIn resume is where I would put things like, you know, rewrote headlines, wrote SEO blog posts. You know, I might I'll, I'll throw in a couple outcomes, like like a couple of career highlights in a given role. Um, but the nitty gritty examples of outcomes would go on my resume itself. I just felt like, oh, that's just closer to the vest, right? I, I want that like to be something I'm in control of so that I can give it to someone and they can go through it and ask me about it in person. Right. That makes um, sense. And when I say do what I say, not as I do is if you were to look at my LinkedIn profile today, I, know, right? I, have, a, I have a bunch of like joke stuff on it. Right. Yes. I, I don't remember something about I forget. There was like this game that we were playing and then you, you could do it. Oh, the Wordle. Oh, Wordle. Wordle. Yeah, my, I put my Wordle score like two out of five <laughs> or like, you know, getting it the second try. Right. Like That's a good score. I put my, my blood pressure. Right. Pretty good. And it was somebody, I forgot who put up like, oh, I'm a Google ads data source and Facebook ads. Like, you know, like I worked at Facebook as, uh, you know, they mining. I provide them my data so that they can serve me ads or something like that. So. Oh, it's funny. Well, thanks for sharing. I actually want to ask you around another piece of advice that in this case, you would give yourself, but your younger self, like if you can travel back in time and give a younger version of Amanda 
who's like starting out uh, in their career, whether that's they're still in journalism or they're starting to get into marketing. What's a piece of advice you'd give your younger version of yourself? Uh, especially in marketing, I would tell myself, try more things, experiment more, fail more, apply to more jobs. Um, I just wish, like I, I do have like over a decade of experience in marketing and depending on any which way you look at it, sometimes I, sometimes I wish, sometimes I f- it doesn't feel like that long, you know, like there are times in which like there were roles that I was, that I was in for longer than I should have. Like I should have, I was at Fitbit for like over four years. Um, I should have left after two and that's not a knock on the company or anything like that. It was just more of like, I think I set out to do what I really wanted to do, what I cared about within about roughly two years. And I should have used the opportunity to just try a new place, like just try a new startup. Um, but, you know, it's I'm, I also don't regret, you know, anything at the same time. So I also shrug. But, you know, if I could go back in time, I would or tell my younger self, I would say, try more things, fail more and fail more in like ways you can pick yourself back up again pretty easily um, and then just get more experience. Anything you would like feel more like trying out things on the side or um, being more risky with uh, the campaigns that you run? Is there anything specific that you would give yourself advice around like that, that feeling more piece? I do wish that I did more side hustle stuff. Like I've had a couple of pet blogs here and there, but they were there were no goals. Like they were pretty aimless. Like I actually do wish that I focused on like an SEO blog. Like I I wish that I like chose a topic and it didn't need to be one that I was passionate about, but just one that um like if I had some conviction that oh I bet I could rank pretty high in search with this if right. I just focus on this for a couple months. Um like I, I wish I did something like that. Um I've done some of that stuff more recently, the re- recent couple years, but you know, I'm also at a different time, time in my life now where I have a family, um, I don't have as much free time as I used to. So there's a little bit of that feeling of, well, I, I had a lot of fun living in San Francisco in my 20s and I really loved it there and got to make lots of friends and network and everything. I do wish that I carved out a little more time for like the side hustle stuff. I want to go back to what you you mentioned around make like you wish you you moved on to other roles sooner. You uh, you you mentioned that you you've accomplished all you can within that within within that two years. I do feel like that advice could really apply to a lot of marketers where they might stay on to a role a little longer than they they want to just because it feels safe. And often in other companies, marketers are. The ones that are abused or the ones that are like uh, chased chase down. Is there anything, any other advice you would give around people who, you know, it's time to move on? I mean, for me, I, I would be, I would say around like, you've learned that all you can in that role and it's time to move on. Like, is there any other signals to you, particularly for yourself, that you're, you're, you, it's a flag for you to start looking for something new as an opportunity? I appreciate what you said about when people like feel safe and they don't really want to leave. I think that was what kept me at Fitbit I w- for, for longer than I um, maybe in hindsight wanted to have stayed is there was some comfort in there, right? It was like, oh, look, Fitbit's still a cool brand. 
I know what's expected of me in my job. Like I, I know what to do to get the things done. And I was also at a stage where I was planning having a family. So I was also like, I kind of need to be in a pretty safe environment right. where I know everybody and like they know me and I can take some time off for my parental leave and not, you know, feel scared about it. Right. Like, so that's why I also say like, I don't regret it, you know, but maybe it's more like if you find yourself in that similar position where you might be staying in a role because you feel like it's the safer choice, maybe think about, um, I'm going to say this in a more like positive way or constructive way, which is like, that's okay. It might, maybe it's okay if you, if you need that safety, like think about how it's serving you and why it's serving you in the way that it is. If in my case, it was, I needed to be in a safe space so that I could figure out a next stage in a different area of my life, that was absolutely worth it. If, if you find that maybe you're, you're stuck in the safe zone because you're just afraid of change and you just don't want to do it, but deep down inside, you do want to do it, you know, or you're like, I want to change, but I also don't want to do it because it's scary. Then I would challenge you and say like, you should try to push yourself and go for the change. But I would just maybe wrap that up with, if you're finding that you're taking comfort in that safety, that doesn't have to mean that's a bad thing. Just be mindful about how you're using that and if it's serving you. Wow, whenever I chat with Amanda, I learn something new. She's one of the most generous, kind, and wickedly smart marketer I know. Highly recommend you subscribe to Amanda's newsletter, The Menu, by going to amandanot.com. Also check out SparkToro at SparkToro.com and follow Amanda on LinkedIn and Twitter with her handle AmandaNat. You can find those links in the show notes and description. Thanks to Amanda for being on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, you'd love the Marketing Power-Ups newsletter. I share the actionable takeaways and break down the frameworks of world-class marketers. You can go to marketingpowerups.com to subscribe and you'll instantly unlock the three best frameworks that top marketers use hit their KPIs consistently and wow their colleagues. I want to say thank you to you for listening and please like and follow Marketing Power Ups on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you feel like extra generous, kind of leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a comment on YouTube. Goes a long way in others finding out about Marketing Power Ups. Thanks to Mary Sullivan for creating the artwork and design and thank you to Faisal Kaigo for editing the intro video. And of course, thank you for listening. That's all for now. Have a powered update. Marketing power-ups. Until the next episode. <laughs>